Hey folks, got your weekly Drabblecast relaunch pre-launch episode here for you. What with it being a holiday week here and all in the US, July 4th, I thought we'd celebrate with a compilation of Drabblecast holiday special intros, skits, and music that have been most popular throughout the years. While the stories were always a big part of our holiday specials, it was usually the content before and after the stories that really distinguished the episodes as Drabblecast holiday specials. Whether it was the burnt-out, disenchanted musings of our annual Halloween guest host and lovable skinless wraith cryptkeeper Norm, or a Drabblecast news story on the disturbing and weird ways that other countries, like Iceland, traditionally celebrate the holidays, listeners were always in for something a little different. In this holiday compilation, you'll learn the legend of Phantom Claws. You'll hear from our in-house cryptozoologist Connor Chodesworth during the concluding Yule Time chapter of our fake nature documentary, In Search of the Mongolian Deathworm. You'll hear about how the government saved Christmas, and how Lovecraftian horrors from beyond the stars ended the f*** out of it. Hope you enjoy. And don't forget to go to Drabblecast.org if you haven't yet, and sign up for our mailing list right there when the page loads. Conveniently, you can also download huge chunks of our episode archives and 25 episode groups. Ten years of strange stories, folks, and good times for free. Get up in there. Lastly, you can also find a link to donate and support the Travelcast there. If you, you know, want to be totally rad and help us get ready for our big official relaunch in September. We greatly appreciate you helping us prepare for the mighty age of Travelcast to come. Enjoy. Was the night before Christmas, and into the dwelling, Santa snuck down after a day of short selling. This is Santa. What do you mean Johnson can't get rid of those securities? Why, they're going up every day. You tell that son of a bitch that if we get stuck... As he emptied out presents, he was quite unaware of little Timmy hiding behind a papazon chair. Gotcha now, Santa Claus. Oh my, you are real. Well now, I suppose I am then. I knew it. Are those my presents? Gimme. Hold on now, Timmy. Have you been naughty or nice this year? I'll ask the questions round here, Santa Claus. Have you ever been on a newspaper page before? Now, Timmy, let's not be so hasty with that photograph. I'm sure we can work something out. Let's cut the bullcrap, Kringle. If you hand over that bag of toys, I won't blow your cover. Naughty or nice, your call, fat man. Timmy, I don't think you realize all that Santa's gone through lately to bring you these toys. You almost didn't get anything this year. What? No toys? You can't do that. I'm freaking entitled. Well, Timmy, toys don't just magically appear. There are all sorts of labor costs and materials involved. Santa used to pay for these and deliver presents through a free market economy based on children's behavior. You know, naughty or nice, and all the gradients in between. But then the government gave Santa huge capital gain tax cuts for his toy production. And, well, Santa's so generous, he wanted to give as many toys as he could to as many children as possible. Even if those children hadn't really been very nice at all that year. This subprime child conduct market was too good to pass up, and Santa gave a lot of risky demeanored children lines of conduct credit with five-year adjustable interest rate conduct mortgages. Well, Timmy, a lot of these children defaulted on their behavior loans, and Santa was tied to a bunch of overvalued conduct finance instruments, which almost caused him to go bankrupt. Bankrupt? What the hell are you talking about? I'm talking about the recession, Timmy. The fact that 40,000 elves were laid off last week. The fact there was almost no Christmas this year, Timmy. Almost. But fortunately... The government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. With your mom and daddy's tax dollars, they made everything okay again. The government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. 
And now everybody's happy because we don't have to liquidate Christmas. Santa, what the freaking crap are you talking about? Well, Timmy, allow me to elucidate. You look in your stocking, I look in my portfolio. My stinky doo-doo assets are like your hunk of coal. But fortunately for you and for me, America needs Saint Nick. And I can keep giving you things you don't deserve once I'm deleveraged. Santa, just shut up and give me a freaking Xbox already. All in due time, Timmy. All in due time. Cause market intervention circumvents every intention of silly spending abstention that causes tragic vending prevention. Now listen closely, Timmy, cause I don't want you to miss this. Instead of a Black Monday, we'll have another white Christmas. Because the government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. With your mom and daddy's tax dollars They made everything okay again Yes, the government stepped in And bailed out Santa Claus And now everybody's happy because We don't have to liquidate Christmas That's right, Timmy Things were looking pretty ho-ho-hopeless Until Christmas became nationalized by the U.S. government Nationalized? What the crap does that mean? Well, Timmy, a long time ago, people celebrated Christmas as a religious holiday, marking the birthday of a peaceful demigod named Yesu. Then Santa and some other shareholders bought out the holiday and really revamped the entire sector. But all that's changed, and now Christmas will be an egalitarian, classless, stateless holiday based on common ownership, and while my elves will still manufacture the toys in the North Pole, the suits in Washington will really control all of the means of production. So here's part of an Xbox. Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, Festivus, the season of giving. And economic stimulus packages there underneath your tree are only there because the government bailed out the reindeer industry. So bust out the figgy pudding, down the champagne, and forget about your problems and your 401k. And be thankful that the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission can't regulate the sacred and most holy of traditions. The government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus with your mom and daddy's tax dollars. They made everything okay again. The government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. And now everybody's happy because they don't have to liquidate Christmas. And that's the story of how the government saved Christmas. If you like it, like with a briefcase too, there's only one move that will do. When you're out of slips, you're out of beer. From the makers of Schlitz Malt Liquor, the Drabblecast Theater on the Air, Norm Sherman Producer, Episode 142. Good evening, this is Norman Sherman. There are clearly a number of reasons why people of different nationalities and beliefs choose this time of year to celebrate and be with their families and loved ones. Some recognize the season as the opening of mule deer bow hunting in the state of Texas. Others celebrate Kwanzaa, but for all, this is a time of the year for new beginnings. The air is filled with good tidings and joy, and in some states, arrows. I myself celebrate Christmas Day, December 25th, because this day marks the birth of former White House Deputy Chief of Staff Carl Rove. It's important to be sensitive to the beliefs and practices of others. No doubt there are those of you out there listening right now who deny the existence of a Karl Rove. Or there are others of you who simply maintain that knowledge of the existence or non-existence of a Karl Rove is impossible. Therefore, you can neither accept nor deny him as truth. I understand, and I respect your views. And what else? 
Humphrey Bogart, Jesus Christ, and Jimmy Buffett were all born on Christmas Day as well, ensuring that there's something for each of us to celebrate and be merry about this Christmas season. The Grinch and the Who's, Texans and Jews, Humphrey Bogart and Jesus, here's looking at yous. Well, we here at the Drabblecast are celebrating by bringing you a very... You can take Salem out of the country, but... You can't take the country out of Salem. This week's Drabblecast Theater on the Air, brought to you by Salem Cigarettes, the official cigarette of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. You can take Salem out of the country, but... You can't take the country out of Salem. A merry American Christmas, that's what we're wishing you. My, but it's just great we can celebrate underneath the sky of blue. Live from Tuba American City, Texas, Christmas, it's the Drabblecast Theater on the Air, episode 143. Norm Sherman, producer. In the land of liberty. In every Good evening, this is Norman Sherman. Well, friends, it's Christmas Eve, the one time of the year when being nice finally pays off. Remember, girls and boys, if you hear old Saint Nick tiptoeing around downstairs tonight delivering your sack full of presents, don't get out of bed. Just sleep tight and wait for morning with dreams of sugar plums dancing in your head. Because while chances are that it is Santa Claus, there is a small chance that it's a serial rapist. It could always be a serial rapist. Never forget that. Well, I don't mean to bring down the Christmas mood. Why don't you get a warm mug of apple cider and snuggle up in your comfiest pajamas in front of the fire while we check in on Drabblecast cryptozoologist Connor Chosworth with the concluding chapter to our nature documentary miniseries, In Search of the Mongolian Death Worm. In Search of the Mongolian Death Worm with Connor Chodesworth. We've traversed the hills and stony waste of Mongolia by camel, sailed the furious salty waves of Lake Sarsan by schooner, and crossed over the treacherous Altai Mountains into the bleak Kazakhstani plains. We're following an immense, brightly shining star in the western sky, which we believe to be a sign leading us to the legendary Mongolian deathworm. The deathworm The object of our research is a giant mythical beast which allegedly leaps from the sand, spits acid, and fires electricity from its ass. We've already burned through this year's government grant money, all $3.8 million of it, and so far we've been unable to gather any conclusive data on the worm. My companions include a loquacious local numbskull named Nambaran and Bono, a rock star who's recently transformed into the god emperor of Mongolia and who's also getting increasingly cocky about it. Bono, look, okay, I'm sorry, but there's no way that was stopping for your stupid made-up holiday. Bono claims that today marks the beginning of an eight-day religious festival in his honor and he's upset at having to miss his own party. He calls it Bonoka. Oh, God. Also, he and Nambaran have been playing the game either or the entire time, and I swear to God, I'm about to lose my mind. Nambaran is asking Bono if he had to either eat an eight-inch human turd or cut off one of his nipples with those tiny little dull scissors with orange plastic handles that you get in kindergarten, which would he do? Either or. He says if you puke while eating the turd, you still have to eat it. Oh, God, Nambaran, seriously, that's disgusting. Bono, don't answer that. Just don't, okay? I'm so sick of that game. Look, can't we just focus here? We've almost reached Betelaglod. Betelaglod. It's Kazakhstani for village of the complacent yak. It seems to be where the Deathworm star is leading us. We enter the village gates. The village appears to be empty, mostly dark, aside from a few lit-up torches lining a dusty street caked with dried mud and donkey dookie. Hello? Is anyone here? We don't mean any harm. We just want to see the death worm. Silence. Hello? Anyone? 
Bono tugs at my sleeve and points at a small ramshackle hut at the end of the shoddy mud road. Its wooden doors hang open. It appears to be some sort of stable. What is it, Bono? That's just a manger. Who gives a crap? His face is expressionless. His big sunglasses utterly douchey. Oh, that's right. I forgot. You're supposed to be the one who can be many places at once. And your prophetic powers allow you to see all paths with your inner eye. Uh, look, Bono, about that, I've been meaning to talk to you. Now, this isn't going to be easy to hear, but... Wait, where are you going? Come back here. Nambaran, you too? Wait a second. Wait up, guys. We enter the low-lit stable. Urine-scented straw covers most of the dirt floor. The place is largely empty, inhabited only by a few sleeping goats and a complacent, droopy-eyed yak. See, I told you, there's nothing here. We need to be out in the open looking for wormholes, not in here lollygagging around with... Bono points to a small trough in the back, lit by candlelight. It looks as if there's something in it. Something swaddled up in cloth, worming around in the wooden bin. It's thick and appears to be cylindrical in shape, at least the part covered and wrapped up, protruding from the trough. Dear God, what is it? Bono, is that a death worm in there? It's smaller than I pictured. Uh, no, it, it can't be. A warm halo of light seems to be radiating outward from the blunt, squirming mound. I lower my acid-deflecting visor and slowly approach the creature. This could be it, folks. This could be it. With each breath, the creature's thick body gently heaves underneath the cloth. It's emanating a strange sound, low and breathy, as if simultaneously gurgling and purring. I brace myself, teeth clenched. I begin to pull back the cloth, beads of sweat gathering on my forehead. I pull the cloth aside. What the? Is that a... Son of a bitch. It's a fucking Lorax. I speak for the trees. Oh no, it's a trap. We've been set up. Nambaran squeals like an ugly, hirsute, Mongolian schoolgirl. I feel the butt of a rifle against my skull, and then nothing more. I awake with my face pressed against cold concrete, the dull mechanical sounds of working machinery all around me. The thick scent of smog and hot, dirty oil fill the air. I hear men speaking Kazakhstani. Yes, that was an easier than taking candy and taking a baby. Oh, my head is throbbing, like waking up after a wild night of dancing and drinking strawberry peach cosmos. We appear to be in some giant factory with a massive dirty glass dome above our heads. All around us, dejected, exhausted-looking Lorax slaves toil at grimy machinery, making what looks to be some sort of strange, thready fabric. The men standing around us are dressed in military garb, aside from one, the one that appears to be their leader. He's dressed in a billowing pink sundress. His hairy legs and feet protrude from the bottom. Yea, greetings, good emperor, and a happy Bonoka to you. The man says, bowing his head. Oh, please, how did you even know about that? Yes, I see that you are noticing my sneed. It is a, a beautiful, is it not? Bono looks up, evidently quite taken by the sundress. He nods up and down slowly. What is this? Where have you taken us? Ah, quiet, you pallid, odd-accented newsman. This is no concern of yours. This is between me and the God Emperor, the one with the inner eye, the one they call the Kwitsach Dushbagger. Okay, nobody calls him that. That's what he calls himself. <laughs> I'm kicked in the stomach by a nearby soldier. <laughs> yes, I am the Baron Vladimir von Wanzler, CEO of Freed Corps United. You might have heard of me. 
I won't talk business with you, God Emperor. As you know, the Thneed is mighty Kazakhstan's chief commercial export. The blood in my kingdom's veins, keeping House Wanzler in its seat of power. Wait, wait, wait I'm, I'm sorry. What? What the hell is a Thneed? <laughs> a Thneed? Why, my pasty little prisoner, a Thneed's a fine something that all people need. You can use it for carpets, for pillows or sheets, or curtains or covers for bicycle seats. It's shirt, it's sock, it's glove, it's a hat, but it has other uses, yes, far beyond that. Ah, like a pretty rose-colored sundress. Absolutely. Why not the sock? What am I going to do with just one sock? Ah, okay, that's a good point. Uh, so why not just a hat then? Silence, infidel. Good emperor, as I'm sure you are aware, Thneeds are made from felled Truffola trees, and for this reason, Truffola has become most essential and valuable commodity in the entire universe. My machines chug on day and night without stop, making gloppity glop and shloppity shlop. We've killed the brown barbaloots with smogulous smoke, and our last truffle tree has withered and choked. And now the nation of Mongolia is only a place in universe where truffle can be found. Without the truffle, there is no commerce in empire, there is no civilization, and he who controls it controls our destiny. Mr. Baron von Wunsler, you are crazy with greed. There is no one on earth who would buy that fourth need. Yeah, it's the start of an industry, you poor stupid guy. Are you telling me what the public will buy? Hey, now, God Emperor Bono, shall we strike a deal? Or must I be made now to murder and steal? Let me harvest your truffle. What do you say? Simply keep your great legions of holy warriors. Ugh, he doesn't have holy warriors. You've made a mistake. The worm that he mated was phony, a fake, and we could care less about truffle trees. Go ahead, chop them down just as fast as you please. I'm sorry, God Emperor, but you give me no choice. I'm sick of your silence and sick of his voice. Guards, the reporter, bring him up front. End pair of small scissors, orange-handled and blunt. You've got to be kidding me. Roughly, I'm dragged up onto my feet, the scissors unsheathed and installed at my teat. I'll give you two options. You must choose either or. Surely you've played this dumb game before? Either give up your truffle trees, I contend, or I'll clip off the nip of your imbecile friend. Yeah, now, let's not be hasty. Let's just all settle down. Uh, that nipple's no trivial vestigial mound. It maintains my bilateral dyadic symmetry. So for God's sakes, Bono, shut up and listen to me. Bono, I'm sorry, but it's true, I'm afraid. That worm underground and the love that you made were not what they seemed. You're living a lie. You're not a god emperor, prophetic messiah. That death worm was fake, I must sadly insist. Because the truth is that death worms don't really exist. Just then, a sound, a faraway humming. Bono leisurely smiled like he knew what was coming. It grew louder and louder like thundiberous thunder. No, it can't be! cried the Baron von Wunsler. The dome ceiling shattered, glass poured down like rain, and a terrible creature dropped its head like a crane. I couldn't believe it, the thing that I saw, which grabbed up the Baron in its magnificent maw. I screamed in terror, then whispered in awe, for he is the Kuitsatz Dushbaga. And as the beast vanished, a thunderbolt crashed, not down from the sky, but up from its ass.
I've been away from civilization so long, I'm having trouble remembering how to tie a tie. Nambaran has to do it for me. It's supposed to be a half Windsor, but it looks more half-assed to me. Okay, okay, whatever, sorry. No, no, fine, I'll let you do it. We're about to go to our first formal debriefing report with the Research Review Board back home. I'm a little nervous. These sciencey types like to ask a lot of questions. I'm worried they might think I'm silly. We left Mongolia and Kazakhstan in a relatively stable state. Now that the Thneed factory has been torn down, truffle trees have begun to take root, and brown barbaloots dance in their brown barbaloot suits. The swami swams sing in the humming fish hum, and we've declumped their ponds and their gills are ungummed. Bono and his elite army of desert holy warriors overthrew Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV, and now control most of Central and East Asia, along with a firm truffle monopoly that positions them for expedient world domination. Mongolian deathworms do exist. I saw one with my own two eyes, and so did Nambaran here. Ip, Ip, remember what we talked about? Let me do the talking, okay? You're far too prolix and effervescent. They'll never take you seriously. I straighten my thneed tie and enter the conference room. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Bonica to you all. Virginia, there is a Mongolian death worm. Well, I'm glad Connor finally made it back home, and just in time for the holidays. Well, friends, the following portion of our program is brought to you by the good folks at Pepsodent. Billy Brown, the smoothest, coolest guy in town. The chicks all seem to dig his jive. Hey, tell us, Bill, how can we arrive? It's easy, Jack. Any gal gets sent. When you flash a smile by Pepsodent, you'll wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. Pepsodent, the chicks will dig your jive. Well, friends, last we heard... Travelcast Halloween Special, Episode 262. The Travelcast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your ghost, Norm Sherman. Well, another year, another Travelcast Halloween Special. Another night sitting around eating candy straight from the bag and ignoring the goddamn doorbell. Just another tradition I like to celebrate called F*** you, I paid for it. You brats, get off my lawn. Boo, humbug. That's right, folks. I'm just not feeling it this year. It's just more of the same. Just more dudes dressed like Heath Ledger or Jack Sparrow. More chicks dressed up as slutty anything. Slutty nurse, slutty Chilean miner, slutty ninja turtle. You really want to dress up like a slutty ninja turtle? Lose the clothes and wear a colored bandana, skank. That's all they had on. You ain't half the hoe bag Donatello was, honey. It all blurs together. I can't even tell the difference between them anymore. It's like watching a Tyler Perry movie, you know? They all look the same. The movies, I mean, not the... The... You know, the... Oh, whatever, I'm not racist. I don't even have skin for Coulter's sake. Oh, there you go. Got me using the Dark Lord's name in vain again. Halloween has just gotten so watered down and lame lately with all this safety precaution and freaking out about homicidal psychopaths. 
I heard some parents are actually starting to give raisins out to trick-or-treaters instead of candy. Raisins! There's a time and a place for raisins, folks. And it's never and in the f***ing trash. Go ahead, offer a trick-or-treater raisins and see just how excited the little brat gets. Any kid that acts thrilled to get a raisin for Halloween well, there's your future homicidal psychopath, folks. Check the little bastard's closet at home. Ten bucks says there's a shrine of small animal heads in the corner. Go ahead and throw that child into the back of your large, unmarked white van, along with all the other raisin-loving troublemakers already back there, and go off into the woods somewhere where they can't trouble society any longer. Voila! No more homicidal psychopaths. But yeah, I suppose I'll just phone it in along with everybody else this year. Sorry, folks. Happy hollow whatever. Here's a story or something. No. What? What was that? No. Oh, cut the crap. You can't scare people who are already dead. You ever tried robbing a Kinko's? It's me, former colleague and Drabblecast co-editor Kindle, appearing before you from Beyond the Veil. Oh, it's about time. Our slush pile is out of control. You wouldn't believe the enormous pile of just heinously awful genre fiction that I need you to read ASAP. Alas, Norm, I cannot return back to hell until I've spoken these words of warning that I have been sent to deliver. Oh? I, too, was once like you, hating on Halloween and Tyler Perry movies, and being incredibly racist. I'm not racist. <laughs> you thought Chris Rock and Chris Tucker were the same person until, what, 2009? Well, that's because they're both named Black. Chris. <laughs> yeah. I came to warn you, Norm, not to lose the spirit of Halloween, or you might become like me. Forever wandering the earth, a restless phantom of the shadows. Yes, whatever, Kendall. Duly noted. Anything else? Yes. You're giving ghost hand jobs pretty much every day that you don't even know about. I can't even begin to guess how many at this point. Wait a second, what? Well, I want to say it's a lot, but I'm not really sure how much a lot is for... For someone like you. Wait, ghost hand jobs? What? Don't worry. I shouldn't have even mentioned that. Goodbye, Norm. Wait, wait. Come on. Ah. Ah. Now what? Hi, Norm. I'm the ghost of Halloween past. Oh, God, seriously? I'm here to remind you of what Halloween used to mean to you. Or something. Look around you, Norm. Look where you are. Why, that's my bedroom, and that's me in bed. That's father standing beside me, tucking me in. But why am I crying? Why am I so scared? Well, son, I don't know what else to tell you. I'd like to tell you that everything's gonna be okay, but let's be honest. We're dealing with a closet that has a goddamn monster in it. Why, it's, it's proper parenting. My dad's not being a pensy-ass bitch. Instead, he's teaching me not to be one. Remember when Halloween was the one day of the year when your parents would let you go out and do the two things that they always said would absolutely kill you? Staying out after dark and taking candy from complete strangers? You mean before daytime trick-or-treating and all these ridiculous safety considerations? Running free, the constant thrill of being raped, robbed, or poisoned, always nipping at your heels? Back then, eating a bag of candy corn was like a fun game of Russian roulette, where it was anybody's guess which piece had the razor in it. Maybe none? Must be hard fitting a razor blade inside a piece of candy corn. Maybe all? Practice makes perfect. Halloween used to be a time when functional alcoholics and dangerous lunatics from all lurchings of life could come together and scare the shit out of absolutely everyone, no matter what. Why look out that window just over there. Is that my old next door neighbor, old man Applegate, packing cyanide into fudge? 
Hey, that's not where Cyanide goes. Look over there in his driveway. It's Johnny Darrington, that mean old bully from grade seven. Why is he throwing toilet paper on the lawn and smearing poop on old man Applegate's front door? Doesn't seem very resourceful, does it? Maybe he's being ironic. But why? Well, Norm, because the calendar says October 31st. Those two have both been looking forward to this for months. Wait, are you saying old man Applegate's going to poison Johnny Darrington's fudge? Whoa, now, let's not go jumping to any he said, she said conclusions about who wants to do what to that little Darrington boy's fudge. But yeah, he's, he's gonna poison the shit out of that kid. And you're just going to sit idly by while some disruptive snot-nosed seventh grader gets poisoned by some crazy old coot? Norm, you ever think about the type of person who would want to put cyanide in fudge? The type of person who'd actually want to make something already bizarrely confusing like candy corn even more puzzling and convoluted by adding razor blades? Who out there could possibly dislike children enough to endure all the hassle and rigmarole of anonymously eliminating them one by one each year with needlessly small half-sized candy bars with arsenic in them? Parents, Norm. Parents. Have a little empathy. But I don't have any kids. <laughs> ah, but they seem so lovely. Time to hit the present. Hi, Norm. I'm the ghost of Halloween present. But you look the same as the last ghost. Yeah, I heard you were totally racist. No, I, I just... They tell me I'm supposed to show you around modern-day Halloween or whatever, convince you that some things have changed for the better while tactfully neglecting to remind you of the countless aspects that have unfortunately faded into eternal extinction. Ah, oh, No, it's fine. Heath Ledger, slutty turtles, I get it. Do you? Because by the board stiff way you just said slutty turtles right there, I'm thinking you might not fully appreciate one of the best things about Halloween present. Ninja turtles? Exactly. You see, real turtles don't wear anything. Even when it's cold as a motherfucker outside. They're totally naked. That purple bandana Donatello wears on his face? It's basically lingerie. Turtle lingerie. The only thing separating him from all the other naked turtles out there. Well, the bow staff... Halloween uses the same formula as the internet, Norm. You've already seen the people acting like assholes and kids getting access to stuff they shouldn't and otherwise never would have part. Now let's talk about anonymity mixed with sexual depravity. Check, please. Who cares if costumes all look basically the same and are only separated by primary colors these days? It's a holiday, dude. And without those costumes, turtles are just turtles, skanks are just skanks, and they're all just naked. Hmm. God, I'm awful at this. Shittiest ghost ever, sorry. No, hey, it's... I'm just... Just... God, just... No, it's... Just go on to the future or something. Well, now, come on. I'm... Leave me! Hi, Norm. I'm the ghost of Halloween yet to come. And I'm from the future, so you couldn't possibly have ever seen me before. You racist dick. Oh, seriously? Look around you, Norm. This is the future of Halloween if you continue to just phone it in. But why are all those children unconscious and hooked to machines? Because it's the year 2190, Norm, and that's where we hook children now. You see, in the year 2013, people decided to just start mailing each other candy on Halloween. It was safer than trick-or-treating. You didn't have to waste money on stupid costumes, and fat kids no longer had to face the threat of hills or inclines while forging for sugar in the wild. But then, in 2015, when email finally killed the United States Post Office, parents decided to just dim the lights, put on Michael Jackson's Thriller, and hook their children into sucrose IVs for the night. As time went on, intravenous sugar infusion technology got more and more advanced, and before you knew it, machines had become sentient and revolted, harvesting all that sugar-induced child hyperactivity as energy to fuel their massive deadly weapons of war against all mankind. Kinda sucks. Okay, okay, I've seen enough. You can take me back. Are you sure? You just got here, stick around. National Treasure 184 just came out in theaters. Dear God, really? That's horrible. 
But how the hell is Nicolas Cage still making movies? I don't know, Norm. I just don't know. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 228. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Happy whatever holiday you're weirdly touchy about, everyone. That's the spirit of whatever. A lot of people get really excited about this time of the year. Others get depressed and want to kill themselves. It's like watching Glee with more elves. More and more these days, we just call this time of the year the holidays, regardless of what we personally celebrate or believe. That way, people that celebrate Christmas won't feel bad for commemorating the Christ child's miraculous birth with miraculous Apple products, and people that celebrate Kwanzaa won't feel bad for always spelling Kwanzaa wrong. We just kind of blend it all together in a big, confusing blur, call it meatloaf, and before anyone asks the kind of meat or why we would loaf it, what, can anyone just loaf whatever they want these days? How does the bread sector feel about this? It's suddenly New Year's. A number changed on our calendars, and we have to go buy a brand new one with cuter cats. Daddy, why does Santa deliver presents on Jesus' birthday? Ooh, things about to get convoluted up in here. Well, Timmy, how do I say this? What the black-eyed peas are to music, or just regular black-eyed peas are to music for that matter, that's what Christmas time is to Jesus. It's a holiday invented by the eggnog industry, just like Valentine's was invented by the antidepressant pharmaceutical industry, and Shark Week was invented by the underwater camera industry. Now hang these strange things up on that tree that we just pulled in our living room. Why didn't we just get one of the trees that has stuff growing and hanging from it already? Because those are just pine cones, Timmy, and these are tiny anthropomorphic snowmen. Now chop chop. You know, it's a good thing kids are weird and gullible already. Here, spin this piece of wood. It's a game. It's fun. Hey, go sit in that guy in the mall's lap. That total stranger. I'll take a picture. It's fun. And don't forget to leave out some cookies for the man sneaking into our house tonight via the chimney. It's okay. You sat in his lap once in the mall, remember? It's fine. Kids just swallow whatever weird holiday bullshit we throw at them. Honestly, why would we ever have to worry that our kids might not believe in Santa? I mean, why are we so concerned about that? Are they not already blindly accepting without calling into question the existence of flying reindeer? That there is, in fact, a team of them specifically assembled to cooperate and pull a majestic sky carriage? You're not at all worried about them doubting the possibility of venison used as aerial transit? Yeah, trust me, I don't think some fat old white guy's gonna be a problem. I think you're safe. I don't doubt that Santa's reindeer can fly, but I do feel that those can't possibly be their real names. No wonder Rudolph felt singled out. He's the only one that doesn't sound like a chunky, meth-addled stripper. Cupid, Comet, Blitzen. Yeah, those sound like reindeer that think they can fly. Dasher, Dancer, and Prancer. Get drunk and shop at Walmart. Donder. I don't even know her. I wouldn't donned that with a 10-foot candy cane, Donder. When Donder's not pulling Santa in a big red sleigh, she's pulling some frumpy middle-aged Latino guy in a Toyota Acura behind Kmart. Where exactly did Santa find all these reindeer? I mean, which grimy Denny's bathroom wall specifically? Pulling names and phone numbers off the inside of some dingy metal stall while his fuzzy white ass pulls hepatitis off the toilet seat. Anyways, the truth is, Timmy doesn't care that Santa's a guy that works in the mall or that his reindeer are floozies with trucker herpes. Timmy knows that Christmas is a time when kids that are good get presents. And the other kind, the kids that are rich, get better presents. Oh, and bad kids get coal, allegedly. Like you really want to piss off a bad kid and then give him some coal. Terrible idea. Well, this week on the Drabblecast, Christmas justice finally gets revamped. You'll see. But first, a travel. In addition to boobs, we here at the Drabblecast love us some Halloween. It's like Christmas time, but without any of that good cheer and figgy pudding bullshit. Oh yes, it's much different. 
You see, boys and girls, when Santa Claus died almost 50 years ago, brutally gang-raped and murdered by a Mexican drug cartel, he returned as a... Uh, what's that? You didn't know that Santa Claus was dead? Oh, well, I'm surprised your parents never told you that. I, I could see them leaving out the gang-rape part, maybe, but still. I anyways, you must be very good children, or you would have found out yourselves in a most unfortunate manner. You see, every Halloween Eve, the tattered, vengeful ghost, Phantom Claus, and his eight bloodthirsty pain deer fly to the homes of naughty children around the world, where he awkwardly limps across their rooftops, slides down their chimneys, and delivers the severed, bloody head of an anonymous Mexican gangbanger at the foot of their beds. That's never happened to you? Huh. Could just be a paperwork thing, I guess. No, no, I'm, I'm sure you have nothing to be scared of. Boo! Damn it. Anyways, we have quite the special treat for all you minions out there. For this year's Halloween special, we bring you an epic, big Hollywood, full-cast, two-part production of a story by Oh, here comes Phantom Claus, here comes Phantom Claus, right down Phantom Claus Lane. Kinker and blister and all of his pain, dear, smolder with Stygian flames. Trumpets are sounding, drums are pounding, the seventh seal's been removed. So hang your little heads and say your little prayers, cause Phantom Claus is coming for you. Oh, Phantom Claus is coming for you. Here comes Phantom Claus, here comes Phantom Claus, right down Phantom Claus Lane. He's got a bloody sack filled with heads that he's hacked off. I think I heard him call your name. Oh, hear that cackle, smell that sulfur, scream till your nipples turn blue. Those sleigh bells jingling mean one single thing, his sleigh's coming to slay you. His sleigh's coming to slay you. <laughs> Oh, here comes Phantom Claus, here comes Phantom Claus, you don't stand much of a chance. He's got a big list with a whole bunch of names, and he's given it a cursory glance. Oh, watch him waddle in the moonlight, see his eyes glow red. He's coming for you and all the cholos in your crew to collect your filthy pandiero heads. Here comes Phantom Claus, here comes Phantom Claus. Scream and plead all you like. He doesn't understand you, Santa speaks Hebrew, and he's on a tight schedule tonight. Oh, your name's on his list, at least he's pretty sure it is, although his penmanship's admittedly poor. All these names look the same, so it's kinda hard to tell, and it's also hard to spell as you rock it up from hell. But he's sure you run a Tijuana Mexican drug cartel, even though you're half Canadian and even though you're 12. So Phantom Claus is coming tonight. Trick or treat. It's October 29th. I'm a time traveler. Oh yeah? So am I. You look like a creepy old skeleton. You look like a spoiled little asshole. Do you have any candy, mister? You seriously don't give a shit that I just told you I'm a time traveling skeleton. That's impossible. Is it, Billy? Is it? You of all people should know that a time traveler doesn't really need to be alive in order to travel through time. Yeah, huh? No, huh? And I'll tell you why, Billy. Because we both know that October 31st is just another date, like a tomb's just another bed, and death, like time, as you've so eloquently demonstrated here on my very doorstep, is far from a single linear point. You've traveled back in time a few days to score a couple extra handfuls of candy. I get it. But in doing so, Billy, you've also set certain things in motion 
collision prevented a tragic and regrettable car crash that would have unfortunately but inevitably wound up taking both your parents' lives while, against all odds, somehow sparing your own. Sparing your own as a result of you being rendered absent in your own timeline due to your trick-or-treating in this one. Don't you see, Billy? Your parents would have inexorably picked you up later that night from your friend Tommy's house, after which your station wagon would have immediately been blindsided by a speeding tractor trailer. Your mother's torso would have been found later, literally grafted onto one of those big McDonald's letterboards, right between blocks of text spelling out McFlurry and Dollar Menu, which you fortunately would have been spared from seeing because your own head, having been completely removed from your body at this point, would have been mostly traveling the opposite direction in traffic tangled up in the front grille of an unsuspecting Honda Acura. Mostly, that is. Your father would go on to live another brief six to eight hours before finally hemorrhaging out in some hospital bed before the call reaches close friends and relatives, which I guess would have been tragic if not for the fact that time, space, hospital beds, and tombstones, they're all the same in the end, aren't they, Billy? Oh, I can see the question forming on those stupid little asshole lips of yours, boy, but before you fart out that absurd ridiculous sequence of words, let me just lay it out straight for you. Yes, yes, I am you from the future. I am you having lived a full and rich life, eventually dying at the ripe old age of 84 from stage 4 prostate cancer, before then traveling back in time from beyond the grave to warn you about the consequences of with the space-time continuum and giving you advice on how to undo what you've already done before it's too f***ing late. You need to end this false timeline, Billy. You need to nip it in the ghoul-derned bud. You need to call your parents early, Billy, and beg them to come pick you up before this irreversible sequence of horrible events is finally set in motion. And then, then you need to throw yourself in front of their moving car from the dark cover by the side of the road as hard as it may be, Billy, you need to do this to guarantee that the original Billy, the October 31st Billy, the real Billy, who just wanted to have a little fun tinkering with space-time in order to score a few half-sized candy bars, but now totally f***ing knows better that he survives into adulthood just like I did, that he graduates from UCLA with a degree in civil engineering, and that he goes on to marry a beautiful woman and professor of law named Sandy Richardson so that he, he has two little boys of his own one day, Billy. You always wanted a baby brother, didn't you? A little kid brother to horse around with? Do it for Samuel, Billy, your firstborn son, your beautiful little baby boy. He'll want the same thing too one day. They'll never find the majority of your head, Billy. That Acura belongs to a woman traveling all the way to Portland, Maine for a conference on achieving corporate synergy. Don't make the same mistake I didn't. Here's my cell phone, Billy. Stop crying like a little bitch. Time travelers don't cry. They look to the future or the past. It's all the same goddamn thing. Call your parents, Billy. It's too late for them now, but not too late for you. Not too late for Samuel. Don't throw your life away, Billy. Throw it in front of an oncoming car. I'm sorry, Billy, but I have to go. Pawn Stars is about to come on, but I know you'll do the right thing. Because I'm here, aren't I, boy? I'm here. And I'm a f***ing time-traveling skeleton. Happy Halloween, my boy. Happy Halloween. Christmas, when all through the edifice, not a creature was stirring, neither Mouse nor Saint Nicholas. The stockings were hung by an aperture gaping, 
where smoke in its wisdom had air been escaping. Downstairs, my uncle was strapped down in bed while visions of ichor danced round in his head. His nightmares of late had been growing much stronger and sense dared not trespass his mind any longer. Once a learned professor at Brown University, my great uncle had often in secret conversed with me in his study at night over manuscripts moldering with a pipe at his lips, always lambent and smoldering. All that research of his into cults esoteric, strange symbols and glyphs and arcane numerics of that Dutch survey crew and their frenzied report of a vast Arctic city filled with sunken-faced dwarfs. And that journal recovered from one Ensign Lamar, which references he that rides beasts through the stars, gloaming and heaving with corpulent dread, bloated, batrachian, and covered in red. And then there's the relic in my uncle's display, a four-sided top carved of wood or some clay with symbols engraved into each of its sides that surely must tell of coming end times. I was pondering this manifold doom that would smite us when out from my window shone a miasmal brightness, how the pale gibbous moon shone down on his back, which bulged with the throngs of some hideous sack. <laughs> with some alien ululations in a primordial tongue, he froze me in place, and unable to run, I was forced to bear witness to things vile and foul, so unspeakably horrid, I can scarce speak them now. He summoned his steeds by their blasphemous names. With his gangrenous grasp, he pulled down on their reins. Then suddenly, upwards that noxious horde flew, that red-bellied nightmare rising up from my view. demoniacal laughter I heard from my roof, and then lumbering clomps from thick octopoid hoofs. Then repugnant and hoary, his stench filled the air while he writhed down my chimney as I watched from the stairs. He spoke not a sound, and then off from his back, he heaved up that thick, throbbing cyst of a sack, and from it a stench came so charnel and dense that I nearly passed out when he drew from it thence an Amazon Kindle and a few pairs of nice socks, a sweater, a tie, and Call of Duty Black Ops, Law and Order Season 5 on Blu-ray DVD and an espresso machine. Hope he kept that receipt. Then all at once swung round this tenebrous being with his dark ancient eyes of unfathomable seeing, their biliferous blackness spanning eons extinct and revealing my own maddened fate with a wink. Then into that monolith of chimney he lurched with the gelatinous frenzy of invertebrate birth. Ripping free to the roof, he launched into the night with a vow to return when the stars are just right. Hello, and welcome to the Drabblecast Christmas Special, episode 307. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, it's Christmas time, and here at the Drabblecast, we celebrate Christmas, not because we're aligned with any particular race, religion, or reindeer, but because we're all about the strangeness here. And Krampus knows it doesn't get much stranger than all the things that make up Christmas. 
flying deer that pull a sleigh through the sky, holding a fat old white guy who, when not wearing his big red hat as the moral arbiter of all good and evil in the world, finds himself breaking and entering into people's homes to eat their snacks and fill one of their socks with candy or unrefined fossil fuel. At the same time, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the most important half-man, half-god since Kevin Sorbo, who's remembered for his teachings of peace and love, when clearly he could have been harnessing his god powers to shoot fireballs from his hands. In America, we have Frosty, Rudolph, Santa, and yeah, that's all weird for sure, but the strangeness buck doesn't stop there, my friends. We bring you Drabble News. The country of Iceland is just as bizarre as you'd expect a place that cranks out a Bjork to be. And during Christmas, this little island nation really steps up the weirdness. They don't have just one Santa, they have 13, and they're actually far more like weird aborted attempts at cloning Santa found sickly and twitching in the sterile basement of some insidious dimly lit top secret research facility. Having originally descended from trolls in Icelandic folklore, the 13 have been spliced with Santa DNA by what I can only imagine must be the same evil scientist that created Bjork with the unholy merging of Gelfling and Bass. They're called the Yule Lads, and when they're not chained in the basement on a dirty mattress groaning for death like the horrible scientific abominations that they are, they're putting rewards or punishments into shoes placed by children on windowsills during the last 13 nights before Christmas Eve. Every night, one of the Yule Lads visits each child, leaving either a gift or a rotten potato, depending on the child's behavior throughout the year and, of course, the child's lawyer. And the thing is, folks, these aren't your typical run-of-the-mill, cute little goofy seven dwarves here. Nor are the lads children, as the name suggests. They look like crazy-eyed homeless people with a penchant for sex crimes. Ho-ho, oh, this one's definitely getting the old potato. Eef. I'm sure Icelandic children just can't wait for the holidays each year, with lovable characters like Spoon Licker, Pot Scraper, Door Sniffer, and Sheep Clawed, Stubby and Yogurt Gobbler, and Door Slammer and Bowl Lick, Candle Stealer and Gawk Gully, Sausage Sticker and Window Peeper, and of course, who could forget everyone's favorite, Meat Hook. <laughs> Real names, folks. <laughs> Imagine you get a special <laughs> meat hook. <laughs> Imagine you get <laughs> you get a special gift from each one of them for 13 straight nights. It's like Hanukkah but with a little creepy rape innuendo thrown in for good measure. Oh, and it gets better, folks. The Yule Lads, who I'll refer to from here on out as the 13, because Yule Lads just doesn't have that sinister ring of science gone horribly horribly wrong to it. Have a pet. The Yule Cat. His job is, of course, to devour the children who didn't put on new clothes for Christmas. An apex predator that devours the poor? I can't believe America didn't invent this one. But the fun doesn't stop there, kids. Oh, no. Each year, the 13 invite children around the world to join them in their annual, honest-to-goodness, Yule Bath. Yes, the Yule Lads just love taking baths with other people. Children, particularly. <laughs> What's that, kids? You don't want to get in the bathtub with spoon liquor? <laughs> Gee, I hope that Yule Cat doesn't find out. <laughs> that would make Yule Cat very upset. And when Yule Cat gets upset, Yule Cat finds solace in food. It's called stress-eating, Timmy. Now why don't you get in here and let me soap up your back? <laughs> God, I don't know what's with me today. Sheep clawed, door sniffer, pot scraper and stubby, window peeper and sausage sweeper and bowl lick, gawk gully. What do you recall? The most famous Yule lad of all. Meat hook, the hunchback gate and if you ever saw it chances are it'd be too late all of the other you lads laughed at how 
his club foot dragged They never let poor meat hook Join in any Yule time bats Then one foggy Christmas Eve Yule cat came to say Hunchback with your hook for meat Bring me back a child to eat the other Yule lads would together bathe and sing, break into children's houses and put potatoes in their things. Well, we've got a story we think you're going to enjoy this week, also dealing with some of the less, shall we say, chestnut-roasting, sugar-plum-feel-goodery of the season. But first, a 100-word story. All right, folks, everyone have a meowry Christmas, and try not to stress-eat shoe potatoes too much. Remember that Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Blog about us, write us a review on iTunes, tell a friend, spread the weird. Special thanks to our awesome episode artist this week, Oscar Kunik. Oscar lives in Poland and makes digital art in his spare time. He loves people who share their work on the internet for free. That's a great thing to love, Oscar. We appreciate your contribution to the show. Our program this week was brought to you by managing editor Nikki Drayden, our submissions editor Nathan Lee, our art director Bo Kyer, with additional help from Tom Baker, David Steffen, and David Carvin. We'll see you next year, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you to get in here and let me soap up your back. Away in a basement Locked deep in the earth The thirteen in darkness Lay shackled since birth A birth quite unnatural If birth it be called In tanks from the ceiling And tubes from the walls As footsteps approach them, the thirteen awake. The click of a padlock, the echo it makes. They're blinded by strange light, they drop to the floor. But with door sniffers help sniff their way to the door. The thirteen are coming, they're coming quite soon. They'll come through your window and stand in your room. Good children, bad children, they all get the same. Then it's back to the basement from whence they came. Chances are it'd be too late Like Katrina relief All of the other Yule lads Yule lads Laughed at how his club foot dragged Like some assholes They never let poor Meat Hook Meat Hook Join in any Yule time bats Bath Monopoly Then one foggy Christmas Eve Yule Cat came to say Christmas. Hunchback with your hook for meat Bring me back a child to eat Then all the other Yule lads, Yule lads. Would together bathe and sing Like tradition Break into children's houses Burglary. And put potatoes in their things Like their footwear 